Thank you. So we come to our scripture and message time. Next Sunday, I'm going to start a sermon series called Honest Prayers. It's based on the Psalms. We're going to look at a different Psalm each week, and this will kind of go through the summer and and see what it can teach us about how, how we can pray in different situations. But this morning, I'm going to do something I had not originally planned. I had plan to start the, the Psalm series today. Um, and I'm going to do something I, I don't normally have not been prone to do. And that is um, address some of the current events that we are seeing in our world. I On Monday morning, I had been reading the news about all the, the protests that had then become riots and looting. And um, and then I started reading in my devotional time from Ezekiel 34. And as I read that, I just felt like God's word was speaking to the situation very similar to what we're dealing with. So I have handouts. Hopefully you were able to pick one up from the, the thing that includes the entire chapter of Ezekiel 34 and also a handout to follow along. I would invite you to do that. Our main passage for our start, I'm just going to read the first six verses. So the first section on the handout from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not, brun- have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. This is God's word for us today. May he speak to us as we consider his word. So clearly there's a metaphor involved here. God is talking about the shepherds of Israel, meaning the leaders and authorities in Israel. Um, our ESV translation said, ah, shepherds of Israel. But the, the I was reading my devotional Bible, I use my old NIV version, and it said, woe to the shepherds of Israel. The core idea is that the leaders God had placed over his people in Israel have failed. And God was going to make a change. God was going to do something about it. When I think about leaders, I think about leadership. I think about a TV show I watched as a, as a, a young kid that actually talked a lot about leadership. And, and I need to do a little test. We're going to call this the nerd test. 
So, so I, I want to get an, I don't know y'all yet and you don't know me. And right now you may be realizing we hired a nerd to be our pastor. So there you go. So we're going to do three questions. They're going to get increasingly hard. So I just want you to raise your hand and then we'll have someone call out the answer. Um, this will give me a sense of how, how much, how many fellow nerds are out there. All right. So the question is, is what TV show debut that debuted in 1966 featured the USS Enterprise? Raise your hand if you know it. Okay. Most of you. Can someone call it out? Star Trek, the original Star Trek. Okay, second level. Raise your hand if you know who was the science officer over the Enterprise. Okay, a few fewer hands. That would be Mr. Spock, right, from the planet Vulcan. Okay, this is going to, this is really, this is going to be the reveals, the next level. So raise your hand up if you know the middle name of the captain of the Enterprise. So who's the captain of the Enterprise? James Tiberius Kirk. I am not alone in this congregation. All right. Um, One of the themes, for those of you who who have not watched that show, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about this. But um, the, the captain is James Kirk, the, his first officer is Mr. Spock. And one of the, the great themes is the contrast of their leadership styles. So Kirk, who's the main hero, is very impulsive. He makes decisions on the fly. He, he acts quickly and he acts very emotionally. He uses his intuition. He goes with his gut. And that's how he makes his decisions. He's very spontaneous. In contrast, Spock is logical, unemotional. He uses analysis and reason to make decisions and separates out his emotions from what he should do in the situation. Because of that, Spock sometimes has difficulty understanding the irrationality of human emotions. And so sometimes that actually makes it difficult for him to, to lead well. Now I'll tell you right out. My hero was not the impulsive Kirk, but the cold, rational Mr. Spock. That's who I saw as the the right one in that situation. I don't know about you, but reading the news about all the things that are happening, there's so much emotion and, and I heard someone say, it just all seems so illogical. What's going on? How the protests made sense, but the protests turned into rooting and rioting and looting and riots and all the responses and everything. We know, of course, the spark of it all was George, George Floyd's murder. And it was horrible for those who saw it on video. It, it, it should not be. Our hearts ache over what uh, my heart ached over what I saw in that video. Um, I think also part of that was not too long prior was the shooting of Ahmed Aubrey and the fact that the prosecutors were not going to initially prosecute the people who shot him, the men who shot him. And I think if you boil down what's happening beyond just the, those events, what's going on is that people don't 
trust their leaders and authorities. They have the strong sense that they are being mistreated, at least in some cases, by those in authority over them. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord brings charges against the leaders of Israel, the leaders of his people, the leaders whom he had placed as authorities over his people. Now, this would have included the non-religious leaders. You could talk about the kings, the nobles, even down to the community leaders of each, each, each of the 12 tribes. It also would have referred to the religious leaders, the high priest and the temple leadership, and even to the community teachers of, of the law, the, the, the Bible. And in the part we read already, God brings five charges against the leaders in this metaphor we have with sheep and shepherds. He says, they fed themselves, but they did not feed the sheep. So the leaders made their living off of the common people through taxes or, or whatever. They made a living off the sheep. And so they were fed, but they did not do their job of making sure the sheep were taken care of and that they got fed. Charge number two, they did not care for the weak and injured. Those who needed special attention, the leader's job was to make sure the hurt and the injured got the care that they needed. They were neglecting that part of their job. Third charge he brings against the leaders, they did not seek to bring back the lost. Sometimes the sheep wander away and do things the sheep are not supposed to do. The job of the shepherd is not just to punish the sheep for going astray. It is to bring them back, to, to restore them to community, not just to punish them for being bad. Fourth, it says they ruled with force and harshness. They did not show compassion and used force beyond what they should have in, in responding to the sheep. And then lastly, it says they did not protect the sheep from the wild beasts or the other predators. And so they allowed the sheep to be scattered. The leaders had the authority that they had so that they could protect the sheep from being mistreated by, by the, the forces out there. And they failed to protect them. Isn't that similar to what some of the things we're hearing about the leaders we have in our country? Aren't some of those charges the same thing we hear people saying about why they're upset right now? So there's um, an article I read by David French. He's an evangelical Christian. He's also a constitutional rights lawyer. So his focus is on making sure religious rights are protected. He, he, he went to the Supreme Court with with um, cases defending the religious rights of believers. And he talks about some of the things that have been done in this front that may have people feeling like they're being picked on by the government. He talks about a tendency that has grown called policing for profit. Maybe you're familiar with civil asset forfeiture. It's where the government, if you use your property in a crime, 
The government then is empowered to take your property. The idea back when it, they first brought it up is like the drug dealer who's using his yacht to transport drugs. The government would be empowered to take that yacht for themselves. David writes, in 2014, the government took more money from citizens than burglars stole from crime victims. But civil asset forfeiture has been used so much that now the government is taking more money away than the thieves themselves took. And he, he cites an example of a man who had over $17,000 confiscated after he was pulled over for having his car windows tinted too darkly. Policing for profit. Another example of policing and profit is using, um, empowering the police to, to issue so many tickets and fines and empowering them to, in a sense, make their, pay for their budget out of, of those tickets and fines. Back in 2014-2015 with the, the issue in Ferguson, Missouri, um, the Department of Justice looked into the shooting of Michael Brown. And on one side, they determined that, that Officer Darison, Darren Wilson was justified in his use of force, that he was put in a situation where he rightfully had to defend himself. But they also looked at the behavior of the, the force in general. And, and here's what they, it says, the police department, it exposed a police force that was required by the city to emphasize revenue generation over public safety. In other words, the city told the police, you need to bring in more money. And most of those were hitting fines of people who have trouble paying them. For middle-class people, if you get a, a ticket, you know, you're annoyed, but you can usually pay it. For some people who are on the edge financially, that ticket may mean you can't afford your electric bill. David French goes on to cite some other problems. He talked about the prevalence of, of cash bail. And so you, you can post bail if you are arrested but not yet convicted of a crime. So they, they might keep you in jail until your trial is held. Now, the purpose of that is so that violent people aren't allowed to continue to be violent and people wouldn't just flee the you know, flee to another jurisdiction. And so there's a case for it, but what generally do is you post bail and you get out, which again, if you're a middle-class person, you could probably afford to come up with or get family and friends to help you come up with the 5,000, 10,000, whatever you need to, so that you're not spending months sitting in jail for no reason, even before you've been convicted of a crime. Um, but if, if you don't have means, if again, you're in the poor community, you just sit in jail. I had a friend who was, was picked up for a very petty crime and he's a single dad and he couldn't afford bail. And what was he going to do about his boys while he's sitting in the county jail? That's a tough thing. One more that, that David French highlights is reasons why people might feel like the authorities over them are out to get them. And he talked about no-knock warrants. A no-knock warrant allows the police to burst into your house or place of business without first announcing their presence. The purpose of the no-knock warrant is to maybe, if the police are expecting violence, you know, that they, they would have a way of, of catching people by surprise so that they don't have a chance to shoot them. 
So there, there might be times when this is necessary, but imagine what it would be like if it was your house. He says the experience for a homeowner is to put it mildly, utterly terrifying. Police storm into the house, often late at night when you're asleep, shouting loudly. If your dog charges the cops, they'll sometimes shoot the animal immediately. Uh, David says there were 20,000 no-knock raids last year. I offer these examples because I don't like to speak vaguely about things. I wanted to get specific. And there's debate over all of this stuff. I understand that. But what I want us to think about is why might people wonder if they're being mistreated by the shepherds placed over them, the, the government leaders over them. So back to our passage. So the first six verses, the Lord had spoken about the shepherds and leaders of Israel, the authorities that he had placed over his people. Then in verse 7 to 11, he shifts, 7 to 10, and now he speaks to the shepherds and leaders of Israel, of his people. So therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey. And in verses 8, 8 and 9, he rehearses the things that they've done wrong. But then the, the key point comes in verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. Imagine hearing that. The God of the universe saying, I am against you. Right? Isn't one of our greatest comforts, that verse in Romans that says, you know, he who's, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? We know God is for us because he's given us his son to prove it. But to hear that, I am against you. It's a terrifying thought. He, he then goes on to say, I will no longer allow you to feed off the sheep. They will lose their position, their authority, their ability to, to make their living off of the sheep. And third, he says, I will rescue my sheep from you. God will make a change. God himself will deal with the abuse of shepherds. He will not allow it to go on any longer. So section one, he spoke about the shepherds. Section two, he spoke to the shepherds. And then section three, starting at verse 11, he speaks about his plans to rescue his people. The Lord tells us what He's going to do, and maybe if you have a pen, you can underline these things as I, as I say them. That's not on the handout, but you can underline them or, or look for them later. And I, seven basic things God says he will do for his sheep to rescue them. And the key one, it says, I myself will seek out my sheep. I myself will seek out my sheep. But God is going to get involved himself. He's not just going to rely on others to do this for him. He's going to step into the situation. Number two, I will gather them. Just as the shepherds are supposed to gather the sheep, I will gather them. I will rescue them. He will save his sheep. Fourth, I will feed them. He will make sure they get enough to eat and get the, their needs met. Fifth, I will lead them and be their shepherd. 
God himself will be their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. What good news. It says this in various ways, but it goes on to say, I will care for the weak and injured, um, those who've gone astray. He's going to take care of those who, who are hurting, who are broken, who have special needs. And then lastly, it says, I will protect them from the fat and the strong. He will protect them as the shepherds were supposed to do. God himself will get involved. The Lord will set things right. So is this just nice words or did God actually do this? Well, I want to suggest three ways in which God, this, this passage is fulfilled. One is it was fulfilled in history. So in Ezekiel's time, the Jews were in exile in Babylon. And through that time of exile, God held them together. It, it's a miracle of history that, that almost every other people who'd been sent into exile dissipated and became a people no more. But the Jewish people sent into exile actually became more cohesive as a community through that time of exile. God held them together. God shepherded them through that time in exile, and they actually prospered. And later, they were allowed to return to the land to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. And they lived in peace for a time. And amazingly enough, they did it without a king. God was their king during that, that period. They would not have a king, a, a, a shepherd over them. God did it himself. By the time of Jesus, you might know Herod claimed to be king of the Jews. But he, was, he said that because the Romans appointed him king of the Jews. God did not appoint Herod to be king. God was their king. This also was fulfilled in the time of Jesus. Jesus in his life and ministry did all these things. He sought after the lost. He cared for the hurting and vulnerable. He, it says one time he saw the crowds and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he had compassion on them. He literally fed them in the desert, um, fed 5,000 people in one sitting. He taught them. He defended them against the religious leaders who were callous to their concerns. So Jesus was the shepherd that God sent for his people. Jesus, the son of God, came himself. I'd also say this is fulfilled for us today in our time. Jesus was raised from the dead to be king and Lord of all. And now we can have a direct relationship with Christ. God is our shepherd. He will be in our lives. And I want you to know, if you don't know him personally, Know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. All of us were lost at some time. All of us needed that shepherd that came and brought us back, that showed us the way. Um, right where you are, sitting in this parking lot or sitting at home watching your screen, you can accept his invitation to know him forever and become a part of his people, a part of his covenant people. So that is the those are great promises that we have up to verse 16. And I wonder, could God have stopped there? 
Like, yeah, I think he could have ended with that. But he doesn't. So you might have to flip over your page. And then God speaks to his people more in verse 17. So he had spoken about the shepherds. He'd spoken to the shepherds. He'd spoken about his promises. Now he's going to speak to the sheep. You see, the problem in Israel wasn't just that their leaders had gone astray. Their leaders weren't doing it. The, the, the sheep themselves were mistreating each other. You see, they would have all been glad to hear it, right? When, when they got this message and, and they heard Ezekiel really tell how, tell it, you know, God give it to the corrupt leaders over them. But they may not have been so glad when now God's going to speak to them. Isn't it so easy to see how others have wronged us or failed us and yet be oblivious to how we have done wrong to or hurt others? So God says, as for you, my flock, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. And God says that they fed on good pasture themselves, but they tread down the pasture, the grass, so that others couldn't eat. That they drank clear water for themselves, but they kicked up the mud so others could not drink the, the, the water. Others were forced to drink out of the mud that they had kicked up. You see, the sheep had taken, made sure that they got their needs met, but they did not seem to care about the others around them. The other thing God says to them, he says, some have gotten fat. They were doing just fine during this time where the, the leadership neglected their needs. They got their fill. Um, they were able to push others around. There's always going to be some people who are assertive, have that forceful personality, who will get what they want no matter what it costs other people. They'll push others around to get it. And the third thing God says to them, he says, they have thrust their horns at people. In other words, they have hurt and injured others, either physically or with their words. They'd use threats and force or violence, not caring if they hurt the other sheep to get their way. And in the end, God says, I will judge my sheep. I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. And he and I will judge between sheep and sheep. In other words, if God is our shepherd, that's great news. But it also means we are accountable to him for how we treat one another. In God's economy, just being poor and mistreated does not give us a pass to do wrong. Just because we're angry, it doesn't give us the, the pass to... to to riot, to burn things, to, to steal things. God's going to hold us accountable for what we do, even in our anger. Now, right after saying that, I love where this goes. Because I think God knows we all, like sheep, have gone astray. None of us are going to get it right. None of us could really make it through the judgment <laughs> If, if we have to stand before our God for all we've done. So what does he go right to next now in verse, um, uh, verse 23? 
So right after he says, I will judge my sheep and I will set up over, over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now, David had lived 500 years before Ezekiel. When, when, it's, when the prophets speak about David, it's code words. It's speaking of the Messiah who is to come, the descendant of David, who would be the rightful king, who would set up God's kingdom and set things right for his people. It says in verse 24, And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. You may have noticed that there's a little bit of a um, problem here. God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. But then right here he says, And I will send my servant David, the Messiah, and he will be the shepherd of the sheep. He will be the one shepherd. How could this be where God would be the shepherd and yet so would the Messiah? And I think there's a clue in this. This is pointing ahead to the plan that no one could have imagined. It says, I will be their God. And so since God will be the king and my servant David shall be prince. What's a prince? A son of the king. Right here is, is, is hidden an announcement of the, the Trinity in, in small, but that, yes, God himself will be our shepherd by sending his one and only son, who's the exact representation of himself onto earth to be our true shepherd. And the purpose is that we would know him. Goes on from there to talk about the new covenant. So the last section, and I'm I'm not going to dwell on this too long, um, but it talks about the covenant that would come. The Messiah, Jesus, would establish a new covenant. The old covenant, it was just the people of Israel, right? You've noticed how many times it said the sheep of Israel. Why does that matter to us? We're not, most of us here, I guess, are probably not descended from Abraham. It matters to us because Jesus opened the covenant relationship with God to any and all, all nations, tribes, and peoples who put their faith in the Son of God become part of his covenant people. So we now can enjoy the benefits of that covenant. And that that benefit, the greatest benefit, is there in verse 30 at the end. It says, And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord our God. And you are my sheep, the human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. That is the promise. That is God's answer to what is going on in this world. The, to the faulty leaders and the failure of human leadership to, to really care for the people. So what do we do with this? Other than, yeah, it's, it's a nice thing to think about. I have to, in my Spock way of thinking, I, I first had to get my head around this. How do I, how do I understand the, the anger that, that seems to go into irrationality and illogic? So I'm going to offer three things that we can do to kind of get our, our, our perspective on this three steps for understanding and then three steps for action. So the first thing I think we have to do, I have to do at least is I have to understand the source of the anger. 
what are people really angry at? It's not just the, the murder of George Floyd. Um, and they should be angry at that. We all should. But it, it's that sense that they have been mistreated by the leaders set over them. That's where the, the source of that anger. Second step, I think, is agreeing with their desire for justice. We can rightfully agree that, that a situation might be unjust and agree that God wants justice. Back in uh, verse 16, it talks about, I will feed my sheep with justice. God wants us to live rightly between one another. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And righteousness and justice are the same word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Their desire for justice is a good desire. Thirdly, in, in getting our heads around this, we can acknowledge that human leadership has fallen short. Now, that's actually, that's too tame a way to express it. I try to think of another way. I think human leadership, we could say, has failed. That the, the leadership of man has not lived up to what God wants for us. And we could rightly acknowledge that. We also need to acknowledge that includes church leadership. We've seen story after story in the media of, of religious leaders, of Christians leaders, who have failed and fallen in their duties over God's people. And we, we have to acknowledge that to understand what they might be thinking. And then three steps that we can actually do. And these are simple. But first is build bridges through friendship. I'm more convinced than ever these last few weeks, this world does not have the answer for the racial divisions in America. If that's not clear, I think it's become clear to everyone. I mean, I think we've made progress in America if you compare it to 50 years ago. But this, our society, our world, our secular world does not have the answer to get past the anger that they feel. But Jesus, the followers of Jesus do we are, are called to be one body of believers of all races. We know that in the kingdom of God, all nations are included, Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and Romans, and, and, and that we can, in that, that kingdom, live out through love and friendship and live out our faith in Christ, live out that unity together. And I think what we might need to do as, as Christians, is seek to build bridges of friendship with people uh, who are different from us, different races from us, who are our fellow believers. The, the bridge is already built. Jesus built the bridge, right? We just have to, to live it out. Second application point, we need to demonstrate humble servant leadership. We are called in the body of Christ to exercise authority differently from that of the world. It's probably easier just to be able to boss people around. But Jesus said, no, that's not how you're going to do it. In Matthew 20, his disciples were talking about how do, how do they rule over people. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. We need to demonstrate 
the, the humble servant leadership that we have learned, can learn from our Savior, how he loved people and led people. We need to learn that in the church and show it. And the third application point is we can point people to the only one who can heal their hurts and ease their anger. Why do people choose anger? Well, oftentimes it's because they've been hurt in some real way. They have some wounds that they're reacting to. They also sometimes choose it because it feels good in the moment. But the problem is their anger does not fix things. James 1, for man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. Getting angry does not fix the problem. It may feel good at the time. It may give you some release, but it won't bring the answer. We can point them to the one that can heal that anger and start to bring an answer in their heart and in their life. Brothers and sisters, you don't know me yet. <laughs> this, is, this is not the sermon I had planned to give a week ago. Um, I hope God has spoken to you in some way. And I would encourage you to maybe in the next day, read Ezekiel 34 again on your own and just pray, what, what might God say to you in this situation, in the storm that we're facing in our world? Let me pray. God, I thank you that you have sent the Redeemer, that you've not left us to ourselves to figure out all these difficulties and problems, but they, we are to look to your Son, the one whom you sent to bring heart, healing and salvation to those who trust in him. May, may we see him clearly in all that we do. Amen. <laughs>